0: You're listening to the Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Halley. Hello, Oilers fans, and thank you so much for tuning in to episode number four of the Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Connor Halley. Glad you could tune into the show today. And it's here. Hockey season is officially rolling. The Edmonton Oilers. Two games into the 2021 season, currently sitting with a 1-1 record. Of course, we don't have to get too deep into it. Wednesday night was not pretty. The Oilers not necessarily playing the strongest game, especially defensively, giving up five goals. Overall, bad team defense. Connor McDavid, Leon Draisaitl, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins all together only getting eight shots on net. Leon Drysaddle, the lone point there, had one assist in that game. There were a few positives. I thought Dominic Cahoon and Kyler Yamamoto looked good, but overall, it was not good. Especially the defensive pairing of Caleb Jones and Adam Larson. They struggled. The team wasn't physical. Credit to the Vancouver Canucks. They scored on their opportunities. The Edmonton Oilers did not, and the Canucks get the win. But the next night, Thursday evening, It was a whole different story. The Edmonton Oilers were buzzing. Connor McDavid scoring three goals. The Oilers win 5-2. to The defense was better. Not perfect. Still lots of areas to grow in. But they get the win. They ended up having 29 blocked shots. And I know blocked shots aren't always ideal, but... To me, it says that they're getting in the shooting lanes, and they're starting to get that commitment to defense. The big three combining for 18 shots, 37 hits, playing physical. Yamamoto continued his strong play. Jesse Poole-Yarvey looks good, too. So good news for the Oilers. Getting that first game out of the way, Game 2 looked a whole lot better. But like I said, there's still lots of things they can work on, things to improve. And I'm sure ahead of their game against Montreal, they'll try to clean up a few more things. Now, I'm recording this Thursday evening, so I don't have the full injury update on Mike Smith. He, of course, was set to get the start against the Canucks Thursday evening. Something happened mid-afternoon, reports that he might not be out there, and all of a sudden we see Stuart Skinner, the emergency recall. He was backing up Miko Koskinen Thursday evening, and now we're hearing that there could be an injury. We don't know the timeline, but Mike Smith... Looks like he'll be out for a little bit longer. With that, the Edmonton Oilers have made a claim on Anton Forsberg. Of course, they signed him in the off season. He ended up getting put on waivers, where the Carolina Hurricanes picked him up. They put him back on waivers, and now the Oilers have made a claim on him once again. So it's a lot of a lot of paperwork there, but the Oilers might have Anton Forsberg back in the fold, which would be huge. The Edmonton Oilers do not want to have Stuart Skinner as their third goalie. He should be down in Bakersfield within the next few weeks getting ready to be the man, and that would be the best route for him in his development. Of course, he was kind of thrust into action last year for the Condors. This year, he's the guy down there, so hopefully it all works out. Mike Smith's okay, Anton Forsberg comes back to the Oilers, and Stuart Skinner carries the bulk of the load down there with the Bakersfield Condors. On the show today, lots of stuff to get to. Of course, we'll talk to Joey Alfieri of TSN 690. Out in Montreal, of course, the Oilers are set to take on the Montreal Canadiens, 5 o'clock Saturday. And, uh, you know, the Montreal Canadiens, they're a fun team to watch. I'm sure you guys saw the highlights, at least, of the Maple Leafs and Habs game on Wednesday. The game goes to overtime, high scoring. That up against the Oilers... To me, seems like a fun game to watch. So we'll preview that with Joey Alfieri of TSN 690 in Montreal. We're also going to talk to David Arrigo. He is a helmet artist. And if you haven't seen Mike Smith's new helmet, it is spectacular. It's up there on social media. You can check me out on Twitter, at Connor Halley. I've got it there for you if you want to check it out. And we're going to have him on just to discuss the process. What happens when a goalie calls you and asks for a new helmet? Is there back and forth? Is there debate? Who comes up with the ideas? It's kind of a crazy process that I didn't think we really talk about too often. So we'll have David Arrigo on the show to talk about that. And we're going to kick things off with Alan Mitchell of the Lowdown with Low Tide. We're going to bug him once again because I know he's a fanatic. I knew he would be up still to watch this as we record the interview on Thursday after the Oilers-Canucks game. Alan, how are you doing?
1: Uh, very well. Just watched a really good hockey game, so...
0: You know what? It's it's tough to be mad at that performance tonight, and for the podcast people out there, we are recording this Thursday night after the Oilers just pick up the big win against the Vancouver Canucks, and we're going to discuss that. Obviously, we'll go back to Wednesday as well, but I want to start off with the goaltending, Al, and it was announced today, I mean, during our show with Gregor, we thought that Mike Smith would get the start tonight, and something all of a sudden changed, and then, you know, there might be an injury, and Stuart Skinner's recalls... Uh, if Mike Smith is out for, let's say, a week or two, I mean, are you comfortable with the Oilers' situation, just going out there and letting Miko Koskin and have all these starts?
1: Well, I think there's going to be a lot happening as we're as you mentioned as we speak. Uh, it's it's Thursday night. I think Friday morning, uh, the Oilers are they have a good chance to pick up Anton Forsberg again on mm-hmm. waivers, and that will change everything again. Forsberg would be the backup if Smith is out. Uh, I, I I think. You know, there's some details we don't know about why Smith didn't play tonight. He was healthy. So, uh, you know, you, the mind begins to race why you know why he was unable to play is it is it you know um something in regard to uh we know it's on covid 19 because that would be that was the the, the NHL told us they were going to publish that uh so is it is it something uh personal uh is it a, is it an injury that is uh would, would just you know come up like i know that, that this is you know um a stretch or whatever, but appendicitis or some damn thing, because it, it didn't seem to be something that was uh, measurable or that they were worried about at all. So uh, something came up. I think. I think. Chances are by Saturday. I think Koskinen can play Saturday, but the next back-to-back, uh, I think it'll be Forsberg or Smith as the as the option. I think Skinner will be uh, probably either on the taxi squad or or sent to Bakersfield.
0: So what you're saying is tune in on Friday morning. I know this is when it drops Friday morning. Immediately go to TSN 1260 because you'll be on the sh- on the airwaves, and yeah. maybe news will break during your show.
1: Yeah, that's always. I just always hope for that. I I, I send money to charity. I, I light candles. I I do everything I can, uh and then JMO end up getting the scoop anyway. So, <laughs> nothing I can do, but I try.
0: Either way, either way, just you know, give Alan a follow on Twitter at Low Tide, or go back to the podcast section on TSN 1260. Listen to his show. And maybe news will break. you find out there. Uh, Al, before we talk about tonight's game, Thursday night's game, let's go back to Wednesday. And obviously, not the start the Oilers wanted for the 2021 season. Defensively, it just it went wrong early, and it, it didn't seem to get much better. What do you think this team needs to do to try to correct these problems? Or do you think you can just chalk it up to start of the season, no preseason, not really much of a training camp either, just kind of the, the lumps that are going to happen?
1: Well, I think the, the things that that Oilers fans were worried about going into the season were prevalent uh on on Wednesday night there you know uh, Koskinen didn't have a bad game but he didn't he didn't steal the game I hope he was the stronger goaltender uh, the Oilers need to have better goaltending from Koskinen when he's in there and then on the other side of it their their third line gave up a 5 on 5 goal and their fourth line gave up a 5 on 5 goal and you you can't have that the the dry side of line was excellent the 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 McDavid line was unlucky, uh, and and McDavid himself could have scored a ton of goals that opening night. It didn't happen, but he could have. So. You know, I think half the team was going and the other half wasn't in, in game one. But the the part that is disappointing is that bottom six forwards, the guys that they, they brought in and they really want to make a difference, uh, they had a tough night. And I think we did see a lineup change for game two uh, in that group, and I think that might be one reason why.
0: Speaking of the, the defense and the new additions, what did you make of the effort from Tyson Berry?
1: Well, in game one, I thought it took him about... Uh, I'll say it probably took him about a period to kind of get uh, comfortable. And then when he did, I thought he played pretty well. And, you know, the... the the nature of, of the beast is that he's going to play a lot on the power play and that power play seemed kind of wooden. They were trying to run, I think too much through him in game one. And then, and then there's a lot of standing around and, you know, uh, oh the per, you know, the, the power play is almost over. So then there's some real aggressive play. But I, I think that that is to be expected. I, I thought he played much better after the first period. And, uh, for game one, uh, I thought his partner cuckoo is better, uh, but but Barry, Barry's a talented guy, and you can see it.
0: When the Oilers brought in Slater Cuckoo, did you expect him to make this squad and then inevitably go on to replace Chris Russell in the starting lineup for the opening night?
1: Uh, I thought there was a small chance, only because Cuckoo... Uh, his His numbers are really good his possession numbers are good. Uh, he's on the right side of the puck a lot uh, he, he's He's a really good player he's not a famous player. he's not paid a lot, but if he keeps doing this he will be uh, but but as a as a younger player with really good speed and the ability to pass the puck a little better than russell, I thought it was possible, but i did, I honestly didn't think it was likely.
0: Going up front, uh, what do you think of Jesse Pugliarvi and his return to North America?
1: I, I think it shows that, that Ken Holland is really different than any general manager the Oilers have had, probably since Glenn Sather. Uh, you remember Peter Shirelli, he would have traded Pugliarvi long before... Uh, I believe, anyway, the, long before he was dealt, uh, because, you know, and that's not a criticism. Shirelli's a riverboat gambler. That's that's what, you know, got him a job in Boston as GM, and they won a Stanley Cup there, and he got a job here uh, because he could make things happen. Holland is, is kind of the opposite, where, you know, he, he'll just, you know, he's very patient. He waited a year on Pugliarvi and and then said, yeah, okay, come back, and, and you know, uh, I... I think Paul Yarby has a different attitude, but I also think, you know, we have to remember he had hip surgery, uh, he's a little bit older, he has man strength, and there's a lot of things that are positives for Paul Yarby now that weren't positives back then.
0: What do you make of the connection between Leon Drysal, Dominic Cahoon, and Kyler Yamamoto? To me, like, that was the most fun line to watch. I thought towards the end of Wednesday's game that maybe you should have rolled a little bit more with Drysal. I thought he was creating opportunities throughout that game. But what do you think of that line?
1: Well, I think Cahoon is, is really a lot like Yamamoto. He's a little undersized, but he's smart as a whip. And and there, you know, uh, Yamamoto just thinks the game at such a high level. You know, a guy like Dreisaitl, he's so talented that, that, you know, he can try to do things that nobody else would think of. And Yamamoto anticipates those things. And and, and Cahoon seems to be like the bookend to that. And so, I, I mean, I... I was really surprised Calhoun was available, and especially at the price they got him at. But in the year of the flat cap, these things are going to happen. I think it's a dynamite line. They're they're. You know, they. Can, I wouldn't call it cycling necessary, necessarily, but they can. They get a whole of the puck for long stretches in the offensive zone uh, because they're really good at those short passes, and they can. They, they sort of cycle without using the boards. They just use the outside, the perimeter, and and uh, like they're deadly. That's a deadly line, and uh, I think I think they the owners are are you know already on their way to have two two substantial scoring lines. Haft outscored 5-on-5, that's going to be an issue, but uh, they've, they've got a lot more talent this year and a lot more depth, and Cahoon is a big part of that.
0: Let's move on to tonight's game as we're joined by Alan Mitchell, The Lowdown with Low Tide. You can hear on TSN 1260, 10 a.m. till noon, Monday through Friday. Also, you can read his work on The Athletic and, uh, and let's just start with the power play. It got a lot better in this game. They go two for four officially and they did score a third goal moments after a power play expired. What do you think the biggest difference was in game two?
1: I think the, the power play moved the puck they generated, they were more aggressive they they weren't, They weren't. didn't make it necessary to uh, get the puck back to Barry, and when they did, he moved it quickly and, and every there was a lot of movement, uh, McDavid uh, was very aggressive, he almost got caught at the blue line by a Canuck uh, four checker, but he, he used uh, like every bit of the ice and then the other thing is, McDavid just had a special night, I mean uh, the, the guy is just incredible and the goal he scored, like he beat Alex Edler on the outside there, and then he turned him inside. And and you know, Edler is a professional, a really really good defenseman. And it looked, you know, it, it looked ridiculous. It really did. He scored two goals at five on five. Was brilliant on the power power play. He had, um, I think he had five individual uh, high danger scoring chances on the on the at five on five and another one uh on the power play, and he drove a lot of it as did nuge as did leon uh but you, you know they're they're just too good like that power play is so uh high caliber that, that, you know, you, you're probably better off just not taking a penalty against them. They were poor in game one. We can expect that because it felt like a preseason game. It felt like they joined the regular season on the, on the Thursday night.
0: Yeah. I mean, Connor McDavid clearly not happy with how yesterday went. You could tell from early on that he was motivated here tonight. Nine shots on goal for him. Ryan Nugent Hopkins gets eight and Jesse Puliarvi with seven. I think anytime Connor McDavid gets north of five or six shots, One's bound to go in. Like that's a good sign for the Oilers. Uh, How about back on the defensive side? What did you make of the play of the team tonight? Uh, Darnell Nurse with a plus three, good for him. Um, I guess the pairing I should ask you about Larson Jones. What do you think of them so far this year?
1: Uh, They were very poor in the first game, and that like that does happen. It's not a like it's not a a, you know uh, to be totally unexpected when when a when a Stay-at-home defenseman, uh, a shutdown defenseman like Larson, uh, when he plays poorly, it always ends up at the back of the net. And like on the on the Wednesday, I think they had three goals against, and he was at least partly responsible for at least a couple of them, Larson, and then Jones a little bit on the on the uh, the pass out along the boards. Uh, so so they were both like. You know, playing a little guilty, I think, on Thursday, but both played well. They they got fed a little bit in in um, possession, but that had a lot to do, I think, with with uh, like game the 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 game situation. The Oilers were up by a couple of goals, and Vancouver was pushing. They're, they they were good in shot share. They had 50% uh, together. I thought they played well, uh, especially when they played with uh, you know the, the the high high level uh, talent like. Uh, like uh, Connor McDavid, but I, I, I think they played much better in game two than they did in game one. It's always difficult because Jones is really still so young, and ordinarily you'd have Klepp on there. But I, I really believe Jones is going to be able to do it. It's just a matter of uh, how long it takes him to get there.
0: One of the guys who's kind of well taking a lot of the headlines through training camp after being placed on waivers jujar Kara you had the 10 minute um, misconduct tonight what have you thought about him in you know I know in, in the first game we kind of some people ripped on him for the goal maybe thought he could have backchecked a little bit harder but what did you think about his play in game number two
1: I think the problem for Kara uh, is that he's not he's just not dynamic offensively and the like Ken Holland is 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 like almost unerring in that he's he's trying to find competition. So like a year ago he came in and he brought in Riley Shahan and Kara was there uh and gates Haas. And this year it was Haas, although he has uh not played yet, but Haas was in the mix and they brought in Devin Shore and they brought in Alan Quine and, and so like I think Carr is is in a really tough spot right now because if he if he continues to not generate much in terms of shots or scoring chances, they're, they're they already slid uh, Devon Shore into the lineup uh, for uh, Tyler Ennis on Thursday night. Uh, it's not that big a step to see him Shore move over uh, and then maybe Ennis move back in and then Carr is sitting in the stands. I think he's in a I think he's in a I'm a fan of Carr. I think he's in a really tough spot right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, I've, I remember having conversations with Jason Strudwick about this past. Those guys that are in that fourth line role. I mean, I, I just like to see some energy. Throw the body around if you can. Make yourself known. you're not always going to score goals. But, you know, if you can do that type of thing, help out on the PK goes a long way. And I mean, the 10-minute misconduct, maybe that's due are just trying to find a way to, to get something going. Now we turn our attention to Saturday, 5 o'clock, the Montreal Canadiens in town. How do you like that matchup for the Oilers?
1: well i think I think Montreal is a fun team because they're not like they're 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 gonna play it they're going to be aggressive too, right? So you've got two aggressive teams with a lot of skill. They have really great goaltending. They have two goalies now. Uh, this uh, young uh, Romanoff kid is just wowing everybody. So he'll be fun to watch. I think they're more skilled than they were in the past. I think we'll probably get another high-scoring game, and it'll be like a 6-5 shootout on a Saturday night. It'll be a fun game. Montreal is always fun. To play because they're like they're not really interested in. They'll play you straight up. They're not. They'll they'll match lines and that sort of thing. But for the most part, they're 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 going to hit you. Especially now, they're a little more physical this year, and they're going to try to to win by uh, outskilling you. Which, as we know, it's pretty difficult to do that with Edmonton. So I'd expect a high scoring game, and I'd expect goalies to not have a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> you know what? On a Saturday night, that's what we want, right? Like that's yep. that's all you need. Eh? I'm a simple man now. I like a lot of offense. So those 1-1, one, one, lock-it-down defensive games don't entertain me, so I'm here for it, and uh, we're going to talk to Joey Alfieri from Montreal, uh, TSN 690, later on in the podcast to talk about that, because, yeah, that's a fun team to watch. I'm sure you saw the game on Wednesday, Leafs-Canadians, like, back and forth overtime. That That's what I'm here for.
1: Yeah, there. You see, there's so much skill on both of those teams, and the Oilers have that too. Although they're not, uh, you know, they're they're well, they're the Toronto's loose on defense too, so it's. You know, it's not '80s hockey, but it's getting there, right? And and so last last shot scores and maybe wins the game. Uh, I think that uh, we like that Toronto game was a lot of fun. It was probably the best game of opening night, and and we'll probably get something similar on Saturday night. And now that McDavid and Drysidle and Nugent Hopkins and Yamamoto are going, uh, the, the, the owners have two lines, which is really difficult to defend. I think you saw that Thursday night when. When Tippett started playing games with who he was sending out against Horvat and against Edler, and and it probably made a little bit of a difference. The owners are tough; they're a, they're a handful. And uh, as as uh, Cahoon gets more comfortable, and and as Nugent Hopkins, you know, works his way into the McDavid uh, line, I think we're going to see a lot more offense from those two lines.
0: Uh, just one more question for you. Speaking of toughness, what have you made of Zach Cassian so far this year?
1: Well, Cassian's Cassian. I mean, I, like, you, you know, here, here's what I can tell you about Zach Cassian. He is way more skilled than most of the guys who have played that role on an NHL team in our lifetime. And and the, like he can, he made a pass to Darnell Nurse the other night. It was just crazy good. He's he's really got good hands and he's fast. But he's he, he he's the things that that keep him from being a better player are 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 like you know recognizing danger uh you know uh the other night on the Horvat goal the first goal of the the against the Oilers you know he he, he had his man uh, and and yet Larson also had his man and there was a point where he might have been able to get over and he didn't do it but but there are limitations to Cassian mostly without the puck uh, but he's physical, uh, you know, he, he usually brings it sometimes he goes a little over the edge and you've got to watch that but, uh, you know, uh, I mean Zach Cassian for what he brings, uh, there's, there's not a lot that you can complain about he doesn't, he, he's not He's not as much of the back checker as you'd like to have on a high octane line, but they have Nugent Hopkins for that. So, uh, you know, Tippett's covered himself pretty well. Cassian's a hell of a hockey player. He's a fun hockey player to watch, uh, and he's very physical. And when he hits, it hurts. And and he's got way more skill than the most of the guys who've ever played that role have. Certainly in Edmonton, he's he's a really good player.
0: Tom Gozola said it today on the on the pregame show he said when Cassian gets the look in his eyes like the crazy eyes you know you're in trouble and and with all the rivalries involved in the northern division you know we're going to see it at some point this year it's just a matter of when
1: yeah and and that's the that's the the edge right and and you know I remember when Rafi Torres was here and Rafi never figured out the edge uh Cassian mostly has in his career, he sort of has now he'll go over it, but he sort of knows where it is, and and so he stays in the lineup like you know all the time. So I, I think you know I, I think I know Cassian is being paid more money now, and that means in Edmonton that people are more critical of you. But you know, and I don't know if he's going to spend all the entire year on the big line with McDavid, but but he brings a lot. He's he's a he's a talented guy.
0: Al, thank you so much for doing this. It's, uh, it's almost bedtime, right? We gotta, oh, gotta man, call it a night soon, my... or do you celebrate because the olders won?
1: Well, I, I, have got my hot milk and my, <laughs> my, uh, one, uh, uh, dad's cookie here, and I'll be eating that before I go to bed, and then, uh, I gotta put on my Winnie the Pooh pajamas, and I'll be ready to go,
0: so. Oh, well, I respect the fact that you can hold it to one cookie. That's something I've always <laughs> oh, battled. <laughs> it's very difficult, believe me. Al, thanks a lot for doing this tonight. Alright, have a good one. That is Alan Mitchell of the Lowdown with Low Tide recapping the Oilers' last two games, win one, lose one. They're sitting 502 games into the 2021 season next matchup against the Montreal Canadiens. And I always love having Alan on this show because he gives you that even keel approach, doesn't get too excited, doesn't get too negative. And uh, love to have him on the show. So big thanks to Alan Mitchell joining us here on the Other Connor Podcast. Of course, you can hear him on TSN 1260 Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to noon. You can also get him on Twitter at Low Tide, also on The Athletic. Right now, though, let's get to our second guest of the show. And I mentioned it earlier on. Of course, Mike Smith gets the new helmet this year for the 2021 season. Unfortunately, we haven't had a chance to see him on the ice with it. But down the road, I'm sure we will get to that. And for those unfamiliar with the concept for the helmet, just think Grant Fear and join Moss Tribute. That's all you need to know. It's absolutely beautiful. Like I said, I have it up on Twitter. David, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast today. How are you doing? Very well. How about yourself? Thanks for having me. Oh, not a problem at all, David. It's absolutely our pleasure to get you on the podcast here today. And, uh, we will get to Mike Smith and his awesome mask with Grant Fear and Joey Moss on it. But right now, I just want to ask you, I mean, growing up, were you a fan of hockey? Did you have a big interest in the goalie masks? How did it all start? Oh,
2: absolutely. You know, it's uh, the old Canadian story. My father put me on skates when I was three. <laughs> when I got 16, I realized I wasn't going to be about five foot nine, and I was a crappy goalie, so I had to get into the hockey hall in fame a different way, so I did it through my art. And I progressed from there, and uh, basically my art, in hockey started big time uh, in 99 when Gretzky was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame and I was asked to do a miracle of them and uh, you know it's all history from there I worked with the 20 uh, for the better part of 20 years with the NHL at all the all-star games I worked with uh, other goalies such as uh, you know Carey Price, Brent Johnson, uh, Jason LaBarbera you know numerous goalies and I've had a great time doing it.
0: So before you even started working with the NHL what kind of things were you doing I mean did you go to art school?
2: Uh, it's the old oh, Sorry, I went to, you know, went to college for art and actually, failed you know, grade nine art, never took it again, then went to college for <laughs> graphic design management, and I was asked to leave because apparently I was spending too much time at the other clubs of the other colleges, and uh, sort of just got myself into it uh, from there, you know, I always had a, uh, an intrigue with art. And finally, you know, I was able to get a few breaks where I was doing large wall murals. And again, um, I was doing a large wall mural down at Wayne Gretzky's Restaurant when I was, quote-unquote, discovered by the Hall of Fame. And, uh, and again, it's a history from there.
0: <laughs> so after that, I mean, what's the conversation like? Are, are they bringing you on just once a year to do these all-star game murals? Or did you do a little more work with them?
2: Oh so, you know, I've done probably about five or six projects a year since then with the NHL with the various teams. Um, you know, with the corporate partners, uh, you know, like the masks are a fun, fun part of my business. It's actually one of the a small part of my businesses. Again, like it's, you know, uh, illustrations. I've done the program artwork for, for example, the Heritage Classic, like three years in a row, the All-Star Games, I did the program uh, artwork. And my program, uh, my actual activation that I have is called the LMX, the Live Mural Experience. Where I paint live for the period of two days, four days, five days at the All Star Games. I was in, um, you know, Vancouver for the Winter Olympics, Salt Lake City for the Winter Olympics, painting large pieces like that. So you know, I've been very, very fortunate that the sport that I love has uh, kept me well employed. Uh, Also across the board in North America, I work with every professional league. You know, I do the Super, I did the Super Bowl for five or six years. Um, You know, all all different events, Major League Baseball. So it goes on and on.
0: Yeah, and you've got quite the portfolio. I highly recommend checking out your Instagram page, David Arrigo, um, and we'll link that in the podcast as well. So your relationship with Mike Smith, I know you guys have been working together now for over a decade. How did it all get going?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a funny story because uh, Smitty is actually the reason why I'm doing pro masks today, or actually masks at all. He was my uh, the first guy I ever painted a mask for. Uh, started back in uh, introduction in Dallas at the uh, NHL All-Star Game when I was painting a large mural. And Smitty's father came up to me and asked me if I painted masks, and I really had no interest in doing it. But he coaxed me into it, and we created uh, what some have called like one of the first uh, seasonal masks, where I painted. He was still playing in Dallas, so I did a mask with the Grinch pulling all the other team logos off the tree. The the tree there, and it just got uh, such great coverage. And then um, Smitty was traded over to Tampa, and we continued our relationship from there.
0: One that comes up quite a bit is the Mike Smith mask when he was playing for the Calgary Flames. I think it was the Vernon tribute with the old CCM helmet. Where do the ideas come from? Is it Mike Smith? Is it a collaboration between the two of you with a brainstorming session?
2: Well, it's funny. Like, uh, this is one of the more different relationships I have with Corey. Smithy. you know, um, over the years, I tell him now that he might as well learn to paint because he can paint them himself. He gets into it so much. Like, he's a totally a hands-on guy. So we'll throw ideas back and forth at each other, and then, you know, eventually we end up back at my original idea. No, just kidding. No, no. he has a lot of input. So with the, the Vernon mask, like, he, he came up with the, the fact that he wants to do something along those lines. We, we, we always start off with an idea similar to the one we just finished with uh, Fear and uh, Joey Monster. So basically he throws out the idea. He says, you know, I want to do a Vernon tribute. And I don't like doing um, the same tributes over and over again in the sense that, you know, a painting of Vernon on the side of the mask, you know, like I've done that a hundred times as many other artists have, too. So I like to take it a different way, and uh, that's when we created the Vernon tribute mask where it looked like uh, Vernon's helmet. It was a lot of fun. It was pretty intricate, actually. And I wish people could see it up uh, close because it's uh, there's a lot of detail in there. But that was a, a great piece, and then, you know, look like a lot of people really enjoyed
0: it oh yeah absolutely i mean i've been working in edmonton sports radio for a long time now and that's kind of the thing like that mask was awesome whenever we do our little top five lists that one always seems to creep in there despite it being a calgary flames helmet Uh, i gotta ask you about the one you did for mike smith for this year and it gained a lot of popularity obviously the joey moss tribute on the back as well as grant fear being involved how did that one come to be
2: again, we started off with the, the basics, you know, uh, with the unfortunate passing of Joey. Um, the conversation right away from Smitty was we have to do a tribute to uh, Joey. And then uh, he came back and he said, well, I also want to do something around Fury. So the discussion started, and again, we wanted to do something different. Uh, back in the days when uh, Mike was playing with the Coyotes, we had a couple of helmets where it had the, the goalie, which was the Coyote, that would wrap around the mask. And uh, he came back and he said, you know what, let's try this. You know, I, I would love to go back to that look. So I sort of created some concepts. And what we did was we chose one of um, uh, Grant's masks that, uh, and then took the actual setup that he wore with that mask and uh, built it around there. It was a lot of fun. You know, like at, at first when people look at it, it's funny. You have, to, you have to take a couple of takes at it and then understand what's happening there.
0: And how long did that one take you?
2: Oof, that one, it's it's always hard to, to gauge. I never time myself, but yeah. I would say anywhere between like 35 and 40 hours.
0: So a lot of time going into it. That is awesome. Uh, David Arigo joining us here on the Other Connor Podcast. We're talking about Mike Smith's mask and a little bit more. And David, I want to ask you, when you make these masks, there's obviously creativity on both sides going into it. Is there ever any debate about what you should do? And have you ever had to tell Mike Smith, no, I'm not going to do that, or vice versa?
2: Uh, Well, I'll tell you, um, there's going to be two stories here. I'm going to start off with a a separate one. A couple of years ago, I was approached by another professional goalie that uh, wanted me, because they were from Russia, they wanted me to do a painting of Trump on one side and Vladimir Putin on the other side, and their hands coming over and shaking hands. And I quickly... uh, you know, said no to that one. I didn't want to get involved in those politics. Yeah, and I was told that I would probably never paint again in the NHL. But uh, fortunately <laughs> enough, I've been here till today. Uh, but moving on to cities, uh, mass When we're dealing with each other, we'll, like we'll start talking early. You know, early summer about ideas and stuff like that. We go back and forth. Sometimes it gets pretty heated. It's pretty funny that we'll bring in his wife that will mediate for us. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a great relationship. He has some uh, really good ideas. He's steadfast. He knows what he's looking for. And there's points that, you know, I'll go through six or seven different concepts, and they'll all comment, um, accumulate into one design afterwards.
0: That is really cool. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's obviously it's worked out well for you. It's funny how you bring the wife in to mediate there. You've yeah. obviously, like you said, you've worked with other goalies. Feel free to name drop here. Is there any other goalies that you really enjoy working with? And do you have a favorite mask that you've done outside of Mike Smith's?
2: You know, it's funny. When people ask me about a favorite mask. it's like asking a parent about their favorite child. You know, like every one of these pieces, I like to think they have their own personality and there's a story behind most of the masks. How did we get to that uh, part? You know, those designs. Like going back years ago, you know, you have different personalities when you're dealing with these oldies. So a guy like, you know, Kerry Price, I worked with for about four or five years there, uh, he was just so laid back. And sometimes it would get frustrating because, you know, he's just like, whatever, whatever. And it's hard because you want to put the you know, get the goalie's input and make sure that they're 100% happy with it. And then you have on the flip side. You have a guy like like uh, Mike that is so in tune and he knows what he wants, and that's all there is to it. Um, but, yeah, there's there's been some unique masks out there, you know, like going back to actually one of Smitty's when he was playing with Tampa. Um, we were talking to Oren Colas who was just one of the creators of the Saw franchise and Halloween was coming up and he said to me he goes hey why don't you paint you know, something Saw themed uh, for some of these masks I said you know what great idea we could do that right so I painted that mask up No, did I know that the other goalie uh, was having uh, another Saw mask made up but they actually put the date of the release on the, on, the, uh, on the helmet and that turned into full advertisement and I got a call from New York uh, with a little rap on the knuckle saying, what were you doing? I was like, hey, I didn't put any dates on it. We were just trying to create a halloween theme mask. So it was pretty funny. I actually got a lot of notoriety. Not always on the best side, but it's all good.
0: <laughs> As the old saying goes, they can say what they want about you. Just make sure they spell your name right. Exactly. <laughs> One last question for you. I guess you obviously have an eye for these things. Is there any goalie that you know you've seen in the past that you just admire his work from afar and think, man, this guy always seems to have cool concepts when it comes to the mask?
2: Yeah, there, there's, you know, there's the standards like, you know, Cujo, um, Eddie Belfort. You know, like they had those, you know, those clean masks, you know, even from afar, you knew that was Cujo, no matter what, what, what colors they were in. Same thing with uh, Eddie Belfort. And funny enough, you knew like Grant pure because it's funny, I've had, uh, like I've had the chance to meet Grant on a number of occasions, and he was telling me how he actually painted his first mask himself, which I didn't know which I thought was really funny because I've never heard that before outside of uh, cheesers doing KISS.
0: <laughs> well, David, we really appreciate you hopping out here on the podcast. Uh, thank you so much, and uh, continue with the good work going forward. I know uh, hockey fans love the work you're doing.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me on, and uh, get ready. There's uh, Mask number 2 is going to be coming out soon.
0: A nice little tease there. Thanks a lot for doing this. Enjoy. Have a great day. Go, Go, Oilers. <laughs> That is artist David Arrigo as he joins us here on the Other Connor podcast. And uh I highly recommend checking out his Instagram account, David Arigo. Very simple, D-A-V-I-D-A-R-R-I-G-O. If you go there, you can check out some of his murals. He's got some masks that he's done up and, of course, uh that beauty that he made for Mike Smith. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to see it on the ice soon. As of right now, all we know is that there might be an injury for Oilers goaltender Mike Smith. Not exactly sure what the timeline is. Of course, he did not suit up. Thursday evening when the Oilers took on the Vancouver Canucks we thought he was actually going to get that start but turns out didn't happen Mikko Kossadin got in there and uh, you know what can you do hopefully we'll get Mike Smith back on the ice sooner than later probably not for Saturday night's game against the Montreal Canadiens and speaking of the Montreal Canadiens let's preview that one with Joey Alfieri of TSN 690 out in Montreal Joey how are you doing today?
3: Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, not a problem at all. Glad to get you on the show here to talk about the Montreal Canadiens, the Oilers' opponent, Saturday evening. And uh I, I want to ask you about this first. A couple shows ago, we had Craig Button on the podcast of TSN, and he actually predicted Montreal to come out on top of the North Division. If I had told you that a week or two before the start of the season, would you believe him?
3: Yeah, I mean, I-, I think I would. I certainly understand the appeal to picking the Canadiens. I-, I personally had them... Uh, in second place, uh, when it's all said and done, that's where I see them finishing. I see them finishing only behind Vancouver, which I know is, uh, is a hot take in itself. <laughs> but uh, I did have them finishing ahead of Toronto. And what I saw on Wednesday night, even though the Canadians lost, um, you know, I still think there's a lot of positives to pull from that game. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly respect uh, Craig's opinion, and I can certainly understand why he, uh, why he went down that route.
0: Well, let's talk about the game yesterday against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And the one guy that stood out to me, Josh Anderson, and I know when he signed the contract, people were a little bit surprised, but, man, he certainly looked good for the Canadians.
3: Yeah, I mean, he was certainly, uh, I don't want to call him a question mark coming into the season, but, you know, he was an intriguing player because they did give up Max Domi with 70 points a couple seasons ago. Um, and the other thing is, I mean, just from his own you know health standpoint, he hadn't played a game in over a year. Uh, he's coming off major shoulder surgery. And, you know, he's a power forward who throws his weight around who we could also skate. But still, I mean, you don't know how uh, a player is going to come back from an injury like that. But Wednesday night he looked more than okay. I mean, on the second goal, uh, you know, I realize it's Tavares tracking back, but, you know, he makes the power move up the left side and cuts the net and scores. Uh, and it just it looked throughout the evening, even if you take the two goals away, uh, I think Josh Anderson had a good game and threw his weight around uh, was finishing his checks, uh, used his speed effectively a bunch. So, look, I, I don't think uh, all of a sudden he's going to become a, an elite goal scorer. But, you know, I think if you're looking at, you know, in terms of pace, I think he, he can certainly be a guy He scored 27 goals a couple of years ago. Um, I think he can be a 25-goal guy over an 82-game season. So, uh, I, this is a player the Canadians have been needing for a long time, right? They haven't had a power forward who could put the puck in the net in, in years and uh, Eric Cole did it for a little while before he broke down but you know I think if you go back before that you're looking at John mcclare in the mid you know early and mid 90s so uh, it's uh, it's definitely a good start for him it's important for him to get off to a good start i think just because of the contract like you mentioned uh, but uh, certainly a strong strong debut from Anderson
0: just speaking of strong debuts or at least a strong debut for the start of the season Jonathan Joanne three helpers uh, how's he look to you in the start of camp and getting into the regular season?
3: Yeah, I think it's it was an interesting camp for him just because, you know, ever since they made the trade, you know, the Sergeyev for Drew and Swap, you know, you come into a training camp and all anybody's talking about is Jonathan Drew. And this year, there were so many additions, um, you know, and, and especially the two guys that they added up front in, uh, in uh, Toffoli and Anderson, who we just spoke about. But, you know, there was also uh, Alexander Romanov, uh, who was uh, very intriguing. Uh, the way that Suzuki and Kakanyemi played in the bubble, uh, that garnered you know a lot of interest, and people were really excited about that. So I don't want to say Gerouin flew under the radar, but he kind of did. Um, so he picks up the three assists on uh, on Wednesday, and he looked very comfortable. And, and this is the thing, like with Nick Suzuki, even when he wasn't picking up points during his rookie season last year, whoever played with him, always looked good and always looked like they were at their best. Like, I remember he played right wing on the fourth line with Nate Thompson to start the year, and I've never seen Nate Thompson look better than he did when he was playing next to Nick Suzuki. So, you know, I I think the, the two forwards that you wanted to get going early for Montreal are Drew Wayne and Anderson. And who does Claude Julien put them with? He puts them with uh, a Nick Suzuki down the middle. And both guys on the wings played very well. And Nick Suzuki scored the power play goal. Uh, and he looked very good. You know, he played a solid 200-foot game uh, on Wednesday night, too. So um, it, it's not to say that people don't care about Drew Wayne's production, production because they certainly do because he has been a little disappointed since he's gotten here. Uh, but don't forget, I mean, last season he also got off to a great start until he got hurt on a... Uh, he was right around a point-of-game player when he got hurt on a Friday night in Washington in November, um, then missed a bunch of time, came back, and wasn't the same player. So, uh, again, off to a good start. We'll see where it goes from here. But it just it seems like uh, the Suzuki and Druin chemistry that they developed in the bubble uh, late in that series against the Flyers uh, has translated over to this year, and Anderson's been a really nice complementary piece on the right side there.
0: You mentioned Nick Suzuki of course he and Thomas Tatar traded a couple of years back from the Vegas Golden Knights for Max Pacioretty both guys getting in on the score sheet on Wednesday evening but with Nick Suzuki I mean this guy obviously highly touted drafted 13th overall a couple of years ago how high is the ceiling for him
3: Yeah I said just <laughs> it's funny like he's so smart uh and and just he he's you know he put a move on Morgan Riley it didn't lead to a goal it led to a great scoring chance but like Morgan Riley, you know, one of the better, you know, puck-moving defensemen in the league. And he, he put an absolute – he put a deke on him. And, you know, it, it was just something phenomenal to watch. And it, just his overall, his 200-foot game, you know, sometimes centermen take a while uh, at the NHL level to, to develop that that overall game and to do the heavy lifting that they're asked to do defensively. But with Nick Suzuki, I mean, I wasn't worried about him having a, a sophomore slump in his second year. Listen, it's still early on in the season. Things can certainly change. He can certainly struggle. But I'm confident that you're not going to get, you know, what happened to Yemi last year is not going to happen to Suzuki this year. He's just, he's that good. He's well-rounded. He's smart. I, I personally think he has the capability of being, uh, a point a game player, I, I, I really feel that way, and uh, and he's got the smarts and the overall game to boot. So I think he's going to be a really important part of this team for you know the next decade plus.
0: Joey Alfieri of TSN six ninety joining us here on the Other Connor podcast discussing the Montreal Canadiens as the Edmonton Oilers set to take them on on a Saturday. Evening. uh, When you look at the bottom six for the Canadians, uh, how have they played in the first game? And just maybe for Oilers fans, is there anyone there that they might have to watch out for? Maybe a pass, anything like that?
3: Well, look, I think uh, the third line, which is made up of Kotkaniemi, Armia, and Toffoli, at five on five, they were so-so. I thought Kotkaniemi, uh, you know, he does get to play on the power play, but the Canadians also had to kill a bunch of penalties, and he doesn't kill penalties, so he kind of did get lost in the shuffle there. He didn't play as much. Uh, as we might see him play uh, as the season progresses. Uh, but Tyler Toffoli, first game as a Canadian, I know he didn't score. He had a great opportunity in overtime on a one-timer that Freddie Anderson stopped, uh, generated some very good scoring chances, couldn't find the back of the net. He also set up, I mean, people think of Toffoli, they think of a guy who could you know, score somewhere between 25 and 30 goals, but uh, his ability to set up high-danger chances was very obvious and was on display uh, against the Leafs on Wednesday night and so I think Tyler Caffoli is going to be fine I think that's the guy you're looking at he, he's the one who can make a – or he's the one most likely to make a difference uh, against the Oilers and, and just going forward this season because I certainly think that he's a guy who can easily fit into the top six, uh, but the Canadians have four really balanced lines. And uh, the other guy, you know, I, I do think that Paul Byron had a tough night on uh, on Wednesday against the Leafs, but he's a guy who has scored 20 goals in the league before. He kills penalties. That He's got speed that, you know – Connor McDavid might be the only player in the league faster than him. Uh, So, Paul Byron, you know, on that penalty kill can create things shorthanded. Had a good opportunity in overtime that he whiffed on as well and, you know, it ended up going the other way. And and the Leafs ended up scoring the goal there. But I do think that Byron's going to be an important part of this team, even though he starts the year on the fourth line.
0: Now, on the blue line, obviously the Canadians have some great talent there. Uh, Shea Weber, Jeff Petrie, guys that Oilers fans are pretty familiar with. But. What are your thoughts on Alexander Romanova? I saw that Ola pass he made to Thomas Tatar last night. Just beautiful. How good could this kid be?
3: So good. Like, we, we really hadn't seen him that much outside of a world junior here. And the reason why he was just so intriguing was because the Canadians are very conservative. Like, management and the coaches are very conservative when it comes to hyping up their prospects and their young players. Uh, but with Romanov like like Mark Bergman went to see him a couple of times in Moscow uh, last year and I mean like they were immediately hyping him up from you know from the get-go and it was it was crazy to hear just because like I said before that never happens and you know we he, he ended up going to the bubble didn't play but they wanted to get him out of the KHL and into the uh, you know into the organization as quickly as possible um, and They got him in the bubble, and they kept, you know, even though we didn't see him play a game, uh, they kept raving about what he was able to do in practice and how, you know, he he stood out uh, for all the right reasons. And then you get him, you watch him in that game. This is a guy making his NHL debut uh, in in a Montreal-Toronto you know, rivalry night game on opening night of the season, and there's just no fear in his game. Like, there's absolutely none. You're talking about the outlet past the Tatar, which is phenomenal. But seconds before that, like, he, controlling the puck along the blue line uh, and he's got Kerfoot and Marner all over him and this guy's walking the blue line like he's been in the league for 10 years. There's absolutely no fear there. Now, is that going to result in a turnover at the blue line and he's the last man back, and is it going to result in a shorthanded goal here and there? And is he going to make mistakes? Absolutely. But I love how flamboyant he is. I love how aggressive he is. I love that he wasn't timid in his first NHL game, and it looked like he belonged. Uh, and, I am I mean, I, he started the, the season on the third pairing. I wouldn't be shocked if we saw him up top uh, with Shea Weber on the big pairing in the very near future because he really is that good.
0: Joey Alfieri joining us at TSN 690 out in Montreal. Joey, I got to ask you about Carey Price, 33 years old. Gives up the five goals last night. Obviously, that's going to happen, especially against the high-powered offense like the Toronto Maple Leafs. But what was your thoughts on his performance and, uh, safe to say he'll get the start Saturday?
3: Yeah, I, I thought he was good. Like, I, I realized that, uh, you know, I realize that he gave up five goals, and usually if you just look at the numbers, five goals, not great, uh, clearly. But he made some big saves early, made some big saves in overtime. I mean, I, I don't know if there's any of those goals uh, that Carey Price can can have back realistically. So, you know, I, I think he's going to be fine. I thought he was fine. And I think, you know, the key is going to be whether or not they can keep him fresh uh, throughout the season. And we saw when Carey Price is well-rested, like he was uh, going into the bubble in Toronto uh, in August, he can play at a very, very high level. That was Price playing with five months off. Um, Now, you know, they they go into every season with this plan where they want Carey Price to be rested for X amount of games and they only want to start him for X amount of games. But they've been a bubble team, um, you know, to, to make the playoffs. And more often than not in the last few years, they've missed the playoffs, but they've been in a playoff race and so that plan that you set you set up for yourself, you know, gets thrown out the window because Carey Price gives you the best chance to win. So if they're good this year and they're competitive this year and you know they've locked down a playoff spot, then you can give Jake Allen some more starts. I think that's going to be the key: is and not getting off to a tough start and uh, not having to make up ground and relying on Carey Price night in and night out because they're paying Jake Allen good money uh, to be the backup goalie. They've already given him a two-year extension, so I think he's going to play. And I think he's a, he's a very good backup goalie. They don't even like calling him a backup goalie. They refer to him as a 1B. So, <laughs> price is important. If they lose price for an extended period of time, you know, I still think they're going to be in trouble. But can Jake Allen fill that void, you know, for a couple of weeks or for a spot start here and there? I think he's more than capable. So, I don't think they're, with the way they're built, I don't think they're as dependent on Carey Price as they have been the last uh, few years or since he's been here because they are deep and they are talented. Uh, And they do have a lot of depth throughout their lineup. Uh, But still, I mean, having Terry Price in tip-top shape is going to be the key. It's going to be the difference between squeaking into the playoffs and uh, making the playoffs and making some noise in the playoffs.
0: Oh, 100%. uh, One of the best to do. One of the best of all time. Joey, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast today. And maybe we'll get Sean down the road. These teams are going to be playing each other quite a bit. So hopefully we'll get you back on the show. And uh, have a great evening.
3: Yeah, absolutely, man. Anytime you need me, uh, I'm here for
0: you. And uh, thanks for having me on. And that's going to do it for another edition of the Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. We've got to thank all of our guests for coming on the show today. Alan Mitchell of The Lowdown with Low Tide. You can also read him at The Athletic. We had David Arigo on. He is an artist, does a lot of great work for masks. He does murals for the NHL. Check him out on Instagram. Very simple, David Arigo. D-A-V-I-D-A-R-R-I-G-O. Check it out. Give him a follow. And, of course, Joey Alfieri of TSN 690 out in Montreal. Great preview setting us up for the game Saturday evening. Once again, if you want to hear a little pregame coverage, Tom Gozola, myself, Matt Cassian will be on TSN twelve sixty three thirty, getting you set for that one puck drop just after 5 o'clock. Hopefully we'll have an update on Mike Smith during this show. Once again, thanks guys so much for downloading the episode. Our next show drops on a Tuesday morning. At that point, we'll be recapping two more games. Of course, the Oilers and Canadians playing Saturday and Monday, and we'll be setting up a series with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Two games out in Toronto for the Oilers next Wednesday, next Friday. We'll set that one up on the show. Thanks again, guys. Take care, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts from.